Today's message, Psalm 6511, is our scripture. It says, you crown the year 2017 with your goodness and your past drip with abundance. We believe that with all of our hearts that this year that is happening. And uh, I, I just believe that God, His perception, not only in our church, but in the church around the world, I think God's perception of how people look at Him is changing. Were you raised up like me and thinking that uh, God wasn't all that nice and that uh, if you messed up, he, he just slapped a snot right out of you? Have you ever, you weren't raised that? I was raised like that. And uh, if I did wrong, then I can expect something bad to happen if I did wrong, if I treated somebody wrong. But uh, uh, I said this, uh, I believe, on Wednesday. I don't believe I said it last Sunday. But I, 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 my background recently, not my long-term background, but my short-term background is I was, uh, went to Rama and Word of Faith. And having said that, I believe that uh, I am so proud of my roots, let me tell you. I would not be here today if it wasn't from Rhema. That is 100%. They show me the Word, and, and it's all about the Word and Jesus. But one thing I have come across in the last six months to probably a year, that there's one thing, I, you may disagree with me on that. How many believe it's okay that if you disagree with a pastor on on certain issues, it's okay. <laughs> Let me just say this. There are messages that I have preached from this pulpit that I disagree with today. <laughs> so what I'm saying is you're in good company if you disagree. That's all I'm saying because I've disagreed as well. Um, now, there's certain points that you, we all need to make sure that are in our foundation. But I do believe this, and you can disagree with me. I'll still love you and, and everything, but... I believe that, you know, that there are no hindrances to the blessings and the promises of God. None. Capital N, capital O, capital N, capital E. That's all I'm going to spell. Being from Kentucky, that's not really an important thing. So we don't, I know my, I only spell words under five letters. But anyway, um, I know people, they'll, they'll throw this out at me. He says, well, Jesus said, if you don't forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you. And that unforgiveness, I was listening, uh, I was going through Facebook and a message popped up, probably somebody you all know, and that he basically said this. He said that if, um, if you don't forgive, that's going to be a hindrance to your healing. I don't believe that. I do believe this, that Unforgiveness will put you in bondage, but it won't be because of God. It won't be. And I believe medical science has proven that if you have unforgiveness in your heart, you know, it can be harmful to your body. Having said all of that, I do not believe that God is withholding healing from anyone because of unforgiveness. And I, you say, well, what about Jesus who said that? The thing is, is that was before the cross. After the cross, how many know everything changed after the cross? I said everything changed. And so uh, I don't want you to get in a ditch on me and say, well, good. I've been wanting to hold unforgiveness about this person, and I'm just so glad you did this. No, that's not the point. This is my point. If we believe that if we can do anything to withhold 
God's hand from healing, blessing, his love, or quit listening to us, won't even hear our prayers. If we believe any of that, you can rest assured the devil is always going to throw that up in your face. I have struggled with healing before in my past, and I think, well, maybe I've got unforgiveness in my heart. I don't, it's just not like me, but maybe I do. And, or maybe the, and the devil goes, yeah, that's, that's, you do. You do. You rascal, you. My point is this. If you think that there's any hindrance from you receiving, it's going to be hard for you to receive because you can rest assured the devil's going to throw that up in front of your face. But now... I have this in my heart 100%. There can nothing be, according to Mike, what he's done or will do, nothing I can do to withhold the promises or blessings of God. Amen. Nothing. That is such a free. Not free to hate people. Not free to hold free. But it sets me free to just embrace all that God has for me. That's the goodness of God. And another, if you disagree with this, when you hear all of this teaching, you won't be all today, but we're going to study the, the covenant that God made actually with Jesus, not with us. He actually made the covenant with Jesus because he knew that we would mess it up. So he says, I'm not even going to involve you. But if you start to understand the covenant, I'm telling you, you realize that it has nothing to do with me or you. It has everything to do with him. That is such a free. That is such a free. And it'll cause you to love him more, serve him more, worship him more, everything more. And uh, I made this statement last week that in 1 Corinthians 6, 17, it says, He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. So we don't have, you know, Mike's on the right side and Jesus is on the left and we have separate compartments, you know. No, when, if you could see me spiritually... In the spiritual realm, you would see Jesus. You would see Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6, 17, he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. So what does that mean? Well, I said this in, uh, in 1 Timothy 2, 8. I'm going to review just real quick. 1 Timothy 2, 8 says, I desire therefore that in every place men should pray without anger and quarreling, resentment or doubt in their minds, lifting up holy hands. So when I lift up hands, people say, well, I'm not very holy. So my, when I lift up my hands, I'm, I'm not lifting up holy hands. There again, you don't know who you are in Christ. Because when I lift up my hands, in reality, I'm not lifting up my hands. I'm lifting up his hands. Amen. I'm lifting up Jesus' hands. And what is so important about his hands? You remember what... Uh, uh, Thomas said about Jesus, you know, when they, the disciples said he was resurrected, they, he said, well, unless I put my hands in his nail-pierced hands and see him, I, I'm not going to believe. And so Jesus comes back into the room. He just appears, and he says, the first thing, he goes, Thomas, come here. Look at my hands. Come and put your hand. He goes, my Lord and my God. So he still had nail-pierced hands. How many know when he was resurrected? He still had the piercing in his side. So what is so important about that? Those nail-pierced hands represent that the enemy has been defeated. Amen. Cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. And so Jesus bore the curse, but because he went to the, to the depths of, of the earth, hell, he, the Bible says he made a show of it openly that he defeated the devil. And so by him being resurrected, that is a sign that the devil is defeated. So why is that important? So every time you worship God, 
and lift up your hands, you are saying, now you need to know that this isn't my hands I'm lifting up. These hand, my hands are pierced. In the spiritual realm, I have a piercing in my hand. In the spiritual realm, I got a piercing in my side. Woo! I've been made one with Jesus. And so like we talked about, you know, Stanley, he made a covenant with a, a tribe in Africa, and one of them gave him a sword. That He cut the covenant with his hand, so he had a sign in his body, but they also gave him uh, a spear. Not a sword, a spear. Yeah, this is Paul's, and so don't mess with Paul. But um, <laughs> I just thought this is really neat in that it, it's a sign to give you something, to show that you're in covenant. It's a sign to, to give you something to show that you're in covenant. So God has not only given us his son, but the sign is that his hands were pierced so that the enemy will know that when I lift up my hands, man, I'm telling you what, the devil doesn't see Mike Davis. The devil sees the nail-pierced hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, First Corinthians six seventeen. he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. If you think I have to fight the devil, if you think I have to use my faith to get healing, if you have to believe I have to do this to get the promises of God, you have missed the boat. You're always going to be short in your faith. You're always not going to be good enough. You're always going to be, oh, maybe there's something hindering. It's all cleared up for me now, honey. It's all cleared up. Mike has nothing to do with receiving the promises of God except for one thing. You know, God made a covenant with man. I'll, I don't want to talk too much about it because that's going to be the last part uh, of the covenant. But God made a covenant with Jesus, and he provided the top part as far as being the one who's going to provide it. He provided the sacrifice. Two-thirds of the covenant were taken care of by God. One-third is just our part, and that part is to believe to believe amen so we talked about five covenants that are in the bible noah god made a covenant with noah you know and uh, the rainbow was a sign of the covenant god gave him something to know so noah would know when if it did rain you don't have to worry about it it's not going to flood god made a covenant with abraham god made a covenant with david God made a covenant with Moses, and God made a covenant with Jesus. But the three types of covenants, and there again, and let me just say this. A covenant in the Bible, it's not like one verse or two verses. It's usually a carried out over several chapters. You need to know that. It's carried out as several chapters because God talked to Abraham uh, in Genesis chapter 15, but he talked to him several chapters later about that covenant. So it's in several chapters, so don't just take one scripture and say, there it is. But, uh, and also know this, you can look up architectural type studies and, and people who have studied uh, not just biblical uh, history, but the history of mankind, and the three covenants that I'm going to mention were in other cultures as well. This wasn't just the God type thing. So when uh, the children of Israel were talking about covenants, the other cultures knew that. For example, uh, the Ark of the Covenant. I didn't mention this in the first service, so you're getting some added stuff. The Ark of the Covenant. That's not just a, a movie. They would call 
the box that you would put your covenant in was called an ark. It wasn't just in particular with the children of Israel. Everyone who had a covenant, they would take the stone tablets, which there's two, and there's always one so that you could put in your uh, ark, but there was also another one that you would take back and for your temple of your God. So both covenants, or both, I'm sorry, tablets were placed in the ark of the covenant. And it wasn't like uh, you see on, no, the other one, the temple, uh, the tabern- uh, the Ten Commandments. There you go. It was like one, two, three, four, five on one tablet, six, seven, eight, nine, ten on the other tablet. No, it was one through five on the front, six through ten on the back. One through five on the front, six through ten on the back. They were identical, but there was two of them. And the reason is because if you study history on that, it's because one goes in your ark, the other one goes into your temple. Well, the children of Israel didn't have a temple at that time, so they both went in the ark of the covenant. So, I'm getting ahead of myself. So, three covenants. The first one, types of covenant. The first one is a grant covenant. What is a grant covenant? It's a covenant when a greater and a lesser person come into covenant, and the greater one took on all the obligations, the lesser one only needed to receive the covenant. How many think that's a great type of covenant to be in? Woo! That's the covenant that you and I have today, and that's the covenant that God made with Noah. God took all the responsibility, all the obligations. That's the type of covenant that God made with Abraham. That's the type of covenant that God made with David. And we're going to find out that it's also the type of covenant that God made initially with Moses, but it was rejected. The second type of covenant is the kinship covenant. The kinship covenant is between two equal parties uh, that come together, such as a marriage. Each party took on a small list of obligations in the covenant, which were the Ten Commandments is what God gave them. That was their obligation. This type of covenant had a small set of obligations. It was very evenly divided between the two parties. So there was Moses and the children of Israel's part, and there was God's part. The third type of covenant is called a vassal covenant. It's a covenant when a greater and lesser person would come into a covenant based on the greater one's ability to destroy the lesser one. It's not a good one that you want to be in. It says, instead of destruction, though, the greater one offered the lesser one safety in exchange for the ability to collect taxes, tribute, take slaves, and so forth. So basically, a kingdom would invade another kingdom, and they were about ready to wipe them out. Before they did that, they go, no, we're not going to wipe you out. What we're going to do is, we're going to let you live, but this is going to be the basis of you living. And it's going to be, if you pay us taxes, and if you do what we save, we're not going to call you slaves, but you're going to be a slave. If you do what we say and you pay taxes, we'll let you live. <laughs> and so if you knew the greater kingdom had the ability to annihilate you, you would say, where do I sign? And so that would be the vassal. And so that was really the, the worst of the three. It, it, I mean, it starts great, not so good, really bad. And so that was the three. So God's covenant with Noah, Abraham, and David was not based upon any obligation of Noah, Abraham, or David. For example, Noah, right after God made the covenant with him, how many know when he came out, you know, of the boat, he got drunk. He got smashed. 
God didn't say, okay, we're canceling this. Abraham, he makes a covenant with Abraham. Abraham comes out and says, uh, meets a king. He's got fear and trembling. He's, they said, oh, is this your wife? Uh, no, it's my sister. It's not my wife. Sister. So he, he didn't do that once. He did it twice. Did God take away the covenant? Why? Because it was under no obligations of the party that was receiving it. Did you hear that? No obligations received. David makes a covenant with David. He says, from you, David, it's going to be a seat. It's going to come through you. It's going to sit on the throne forever. Makes a covenant with David. You read two or three chapters later. David has an affair with Bathsheba. Premeditated murder because she gets pregnant. I mean, it just gets worse and worse. And did God take away the covenant with David? No, he did not. Why? You have to understand covenants. The grant covenant, you have no obligation. All you need to do is receive what I have promised and will provide for you. It's a covenant that you and I have today. <clears throat> Tell this side over here. That is a covenant <laughs> that you and I have today. Y'all need to get with it. I mean, they really... Exodus, chapter 19, verse 5 and 6. I'm reading this from the Young Translation because the majority, a lot of translations, the King James, they, it says one word that's changed here, and so I'm going to read it. And now, if you really hearken to my voice, in the King James, it says, obey. The reason that's a big deal is because in the context of this, it, it should be hearken, not obey. And now, if you really hearken to my voice, then you, have kept, then you have kept my covenant and been to me a peculiar treasure more than all peoples for all the earth is mine. And you, you are to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words which thou dost speak unto the sons of Israel. So God initially is saying to Moses and the children of Israel, I'm going to make a grant covenant to you. You're going to be a holy people, a peculiar people. You're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be a holy nation. And I'm going to make you all priests. What's so great about that? A priest is one who has direct relationship with God. No in between. It's just you and God. That's a priest. In Revelation, it says that we have been made kings and priests. What does that mean? A king is one who has all authority. So you have authority. Luke 10, 19, Behold, I give unto you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means harm you. <laughs> and so then he sits there and goes, You've also been made a priest. What does that mean? You always, 24-7, have direct access to the God, to the Father, to Jesus, to the Holy Ghost. Wow. You have no obligation to make this happen except to receive it. Oh, hallelujah. So he says, I'm making you all of this. I'm doing this all for you. We'll find out they rejected it. Let me just say this. Before the law, before Mount Sinai. 
In Exodus 15, 22 and 26, just look at me. They're not going to put it up there. Exodus 15, 22 through 26, it says, the Israelites grumbled at the start of their journey, and it led to no punishment. Exodus 16, 1 through 15, the Israelites grumbled about the man and the quail, led to no punishment. Exodus 16, 27 through 30, they violated the Sabbath. You know, he said, collect the quail and the food for six days. But on the seventh day, don't go out and collect it. How many know they went out anyway? There is no punishment. After Mount Sinai, after the law, Numbers chapter 11, 1 through 3, the Israelites grumbled and a fire destroyed them. Numbers eleven thirty three through 34, the, the Israelites grumbled about the man and the quail. It became a killing plague, killed thousands. Numbers 15, 32, and 36, they violated the Sabbath, and there was stone, uh, death by stoning. Numbers 21, 4 through 6, Israelites grumbled over food and water, and it led to the Lord sending deadly serpents among the people. Something has changed. They did all of that stuff before Mount Sinai. Nobody died. After the law, ooh, we got people dying. What changed? Covenant. That's why if you study the law, on Wednesdays a few months ago, we studied law, the law. And we found out that the law produces death. Not God, but the law. You say, well, the law was given by God. That's because the children of Israel wanted the law. This is the thing we need to understand because God's perception in churches around the world is that God, he's got rules and regulations and if you don't keep them, you're on his naughty list. You're looking through to God through the filter of the kinship covenant, which we do not have with him. Exodus 19, verse 8, this is when... Moses told the children of Israel about the grant covenant to the children of Israel. And they said, all the people responded together. We will do everything the Lord has commanded. So Moses brought the people's answer back to the Lord. He said, God, they want this grant covenant. He said, great. Tell the people to prepare in three days. I'm going to come down to the mountain. Tell them I want to speak to them. That's what priest means. He's going to speak audibly to them, which was The last time they heard God, by the way. So three days later, God comes down on the mountain, Mount Sinai. I mean, it's it's ooh, it's shaking and rattling and rolling, darkness and fire, and it's just like Hollywood cannot even duplicate this. It's just like whoa! God showed up, and what happened was when God showed up, Moses started walking to the mountain. He heard God talking. Children of Israel went, exit, stage right. And they took off running. They ran away from God. So God wanted a direct relationship with the children of Israel. He wanted to be one-on-one with them. So we read a little bit more detail in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 23 and 27. 
So it was when you heard the voice from the midst of the darkness while the mountain was burning with fire that you came near to me. All the heads of your tribes and your elders and you said, surely the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his greatness and we have heard his voice from the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God speaks with man, yet he still lives. Now therefore, verse 25, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore, then we shall die. They just heard the voice of God and they didn't die. Do you see the mentality of this? They said, you know, if we hear God's voice, we're going to die. They were listening to God's voice right then and there, and they didn't die. They did not die. But this is their mentality. Verse 26. For who is there of all flesh who's heard the voice of the living God speaking from the midst of the fire as we have and lived? The answer would be, you have. They, they asked the question, who's ever heard the voice of God and lived? They should have responded, all of us, all of us have. But they made it sound like nobody has, and if you do, you're going to die. Come on. Verse 27, so you go near, and you hear all that the Lord our God may say, and tell us all that the Lord our God says to you, and we will hear and do it. So they go to Moses and say, you tell God, in Exodus it says this too, tell him not to do that ever again. Don't do that. Don't do it. Yes, don't. This is what you need to do, Moses. Go and get a list of rules and regulations and tell him we'll, we'll do that. So God knows that. So he's talking to Moses, and he sits there and he tells Moses, you tell all of them not to come to the mountain, get away. Not even the priests, nobody. They'll die. Wow, we have a change of heart or what? No. They rejected the grant covenant. They rejected all that what God wanted to do with them. They rejected about being a priest. They rejected about being a holy nation. They rejected about being a peculiar people. They rejected God. So he says, I will give them a list of rules. If you interpret your relationship with God through the filter of the kinship covenant that Moses and the children of Israel had, you will have the wrong perception of God. Hmm. Makes a lot of sense now of things that you read Listen, God even, he did so much for them. They had a slave mentality. For 400 years, that's four generations, the Bible says, that they were slaves. The only God they knew was Pharaoh. He was their God. Their mentality, though, was one of slaves. Tell me what to do. Pharaoh told them what to do. You want to eat? This is what you have to do. You want to survive? This is what you want to do. You want to live in your home? This is what you have to do. Rules and regulations. That's 400 years. They live by rules and regulations. And they knew one man, Pharaoh. This was their mentality. So here comes a loving God. Listen, he, he did everything to show what kind of character he, he had. How about all the miraculous signs? 
when they were still in bondage, still in Egypt, miracle after miracle after miracle. Hailstones were falling in Egypt, but right in the, inside of Egypt, a land called Goshen, no hailstones were falling. Everybody was getting boils on their skin and, and all kinds of stuff are happening, but inside of Goshen, nobody got anything. Grasshoppers eating everything inside of Goshen. All of our food and plants are fine. Darkness covers all of Egypt, but inside Goshen, sun's shining bright. Take one step out of Goshen, you're in pitch black darkness. Take one step in, sun's shining. What? <laughs> That's a sign. What is this sign of? You're my people. I love you, and I'm going to protect you. Even if you know that you're a slave inside of a hostile territory, I've still got you covered. That's your father. That's your father. And so he did all of these things. And while they were leaving, while they're leaving Egypt, they're surrounded by the enemy, and the enemy is about ready to consume. They cry out to God. God opens up the sea. They're allowed to go across, and he delivers them. And then he closes the sea and destroys all of their enemy. Even Pharaoh himself is drowned. So God, time and time again, this is the kind of father, this is the kind of God that you have. So he showed them over and over and over again. And yet... And yet they rejected all that. They rejected that God was going to do all of this for them. This is a problem that we can even have as a church. This is a problem we can even have as someone who follows God. Having a slave mentality. Listen to me. How you were raised, how you were treated, how you were brought up can affect your perception of God. It can. But if you're doing that and not renewing your noodle, not renewing your mind, you will fall into the same pattern that the children of Israel did and said, well, God must be like this. The reason this bad thing's happening to me is because, you know, God, you know, I didn't do something right, so God is just getting me. You're filtering your perception of God through a Mosaic covenant, not understanding that you have a new covenant. That one is obsolete and been done away with, but you're under a new covenant, but you're filtering your perception, your relationship with God through how the children of Israel, well, you know, you can't have this. You know, they said all of these laws and regulations, and the, and the law got more, at first it was just 10 laws, but then after they totally started getting further and further away, and after Moses died, there was over 600 laws. And so mankind has ever so deceivingly slipped back into that kind of mentality and say, well, if we're truly going to be blessed, then we have to do this and we have to do that. We have to keep all of the commandments and we have to do, you know, exactly what God says. And if we don't obey to the letter of the law, then we're not going to receive from God. You have just stepped out of the new covenant and stepped back into the Mosaic covenant. Out of all the covenants in the Old Testament, the Old Testament is not the Old Covenant. It contains the covenant, but it is not the whole 
old covenant. So there is a, a covenant with Noah. Didn't have anything to do with obligations of Noah. There was a covenant with Abraham. Had nothing to do with Abraham. He just needed to receive and believe. David needed to receive and believe. So they approach Moses. You need to receive and believe. And the people of Israel go, No, we can't do that. We don't want that. We want a list. Moses, you get up on the mountain, you write down the list, the rules, and we'll do it. They didn't do it, first of all. They did not. They did not. I truly believe that we have to change our perception of God, renew our mind, and know that God, that song we sang this morning, you are good. All the time. And it's not based upon how Mike even lives or responds or anything to do with my performance. I know a lot of religious people are going to get hung up with that. They will. You say, well, pastor, if you preach this, then you're just going to give a license for people to sin and live any old way. I think people are doing okay without hearing this. The way that you think would be the way that you believe, and the way that you believe would be the way that you live. So if you have wrong thinking, you're going to have wrong believing, which will create wrong living. So if I can get people to think of the goodness of God, and it's not based upon Mike Davis, it's based upon the Lord Jesus Christ and how good he is, that type of thinking will cause right believing, and that will cause extraordinary living. Woo! I'm telling you, where the church has got the cart before the horse, we're trying to make everybody live right so God will do right. And God says, no, if you know that I'm always going to do right, you will change the way that you live and believe. And so what the church has done is this is a set of things. If you're going to be part of this organization, then you must do this and write number one and number two and number three. And we have the Ten Commandments, but there's a lot more than that. So you got to do all of these and make sure you do all of these. And then the blessings of the Lord will be upon your life. And so the church lives in poverty and sickness just like the rest of the world because we just don't measure up. We're not supposed to be ignorant of the devil's devices. That's what the Bible teaches. But we have been ignorant of the devil's devices. We have embraced. We've embraced a kinship mentality. A kinship covenant. And it's made us slaves, just like the children of Israel. Slaves to religion. (laughs) I'm telling you, I've had more victory in the last 12 months than I've ever had in my whole entire Christian life. Am I perfect? No, but honey, I have left the port. (laughs) I have left, and I know the destination is that it is not only possible, but it is God's will for you never to be a sick day in your life. It is the will of God that you never be poor a day in your life. It's the will of God you never be depressed a day in your life. It's the will of God that you never get any discouragement a day in your life. You say, well, man, I tell you what, I can get discouraged for seconds. But when it's all said and done, I'm, I'm shaking that thing off. It's kind of like Paul. He got snake bit, but he didn't just leave it there. He goes, oh, I got a snake on my hand. 
You want to see my snake? It's bit, yeah, the devil's eat you. I got this snake on my hand. No, he shook it off. But the Christians, you know what we do? We, we pet our, our sickness or we pet our problem like this is just the way it is. That's just the way it is. That's not the way that God wants it to be. It may be the way it is, but there's a different and a better plan. Do you have challenges? Oh, I've had marvelous opportunities to embrace sickness in the last 12 months, six months. Man, I'm telling you. My first Sunday back from Africa, I woke up early in the morning. I'm still not on the same time zone. And uh, I, first of all, when I, I got the last week of the African trip, you know, it's just, I mean, we went through country after country doing stuff. doing. So when I got here, I didn't know what planet I was on, much less what time zone. And so I didn't feel good for like four or five days. And then the Sunday morning, I'm getting ready for church, first service back. I woke up and there was a piercing in my side like somebody stuck a knife in there where it put me on all fours and I was having a hard time breathing and so I just took an authority over that believing God for that finally I went in I, it was early and I, and I didn't want to wake up Melody but I woke her up and said you need to believe with me I got like major pain going on in my body so she prayed with me and I walked out back out and I'm telling you it took a probably about 30 minutes, and that thing was gone. You say, what was it? I don't know, don't really care. I just know that it wasn't supposed to be on me. <laughs> I've had several things like that that happened in the last three or four months. Some fever come upon me. Some, my stomach get all upset. You know, the first thing you're at, you're getting the flu. You got the flu. You're not getting the flu. You got it. And I just thought, no. I'm in covenant with God. Let me ask you this. Is Jesus ever sick? I'm going to say it again. Is Jesus ever sick? Is Jesus ever depressed? Is he live in any kind of lack of poverty? And you are one with him. So why do you have that mentality? Well, you know, it's just flu season. Everybody gets the flu. So then you will probably get the flu. If you hear that commercial on TV or something, you need to open up your mouth and go, I don't get the flu. Don't let that seed be sown inside of you. It's flu season. And if you say nothing, the devil's going to say, oh, you don't have a problem with that? It's not flu season at my house. I don't know. I don't. We need to change our mentality. We are in covenant with him, not because based upon our obligation or what we have done. That's why God didn't make a covenant with just man as far as outside of Jesus. He knew we would mess it up. We would. So he says, I'm going to bypass man, and I'm going to make a covenant with myself. So he makes a covenant with Jesus. Make sure that the sacrifice is perfect, Jesus. Make sure all of the obligations are based upon Jesus. And he says, when all of that happens, then everything that I have will be yours. Because I've given it all to Jesus. Who fulfilled the obligation of the covenant? Jesus.
It's the same way with Noah, Abraham, and David. He says, I'm not going to let you feel this obligation. I'm going to take care of this myself. He comes into the new covenant and he says, I'm not going to let Mike Davis or Melody or anybody else take care of this covenant. I'm going to take care of it myself. If you start realizing what kind of covenant that you're in relationship with and the covenant's been cut and you didn't even have to do the cutting. If you study Abraham, the covenant, God says, I want to make a covenant with you, Abraham. And this is the way they did. They would split the sacrifice in half and half it on this side and half it on that side. The two people making the covenant would walk through the middle of the sacrifice and signifying this, that if I don't keep my part of the covenant, then what has happened to these animals, may it happen to me as well. So Abraham understood that. So in the evening, God's uh, taking his time doing this, and so animals start coming to, to try to eat it and everything. Abraham's trying to shoo them away and everything. And so then he takes a siesta. He falls asleep, and the Bible says a deep sleep came upon Abraham. I think God had something to do with that. You know what he's saying? Abraham, this has nothing to do with you. You just sleep through this. And the Bible says a a darkness and a smoking flask or something like that walks through the sacrifice. Who was that? God. He was making a promise unto himself. If I don't keep my bargain, may this happen unto me. It was actually, uh, if you study the cultural facts about the covenant, is. It's a covenant of death. If I don't keep this, it's death. Abraham didn't have to walk through that. Why? God was saying, this is all on me. And he's still saying that today. This is all on me. If you would just let yourself be taken out of this equation and keep focused on me, you will see that you can live in the blessings and the promises of God according to the word of God that they are yes and amen. It's not, well, if you don't forgive, I don't, sorry. And if you don't do this, and if you don't do this, and oh, that list goes on and on and on. There's no subpart of all the blessings of God are yes and amen in Christ. So that's the key part. It's not Mike's obligation to make sure the promises get fulfilled. I said it's not Mike's responsibility to make sure I live up to the standard so the promises can be fulfilled. That standard was way too high and it was always out of my reach and it was out of your reach. And Jesus and the Father God knew this and he said the standard's going to be this high and I'm not going to bring it down. But there is going to come one who can fulfill that and meet all of the standards. His name is Jesus. And for you and me to be recipients of it, you step into I believe that he did it all for me. Woo! Do you believe that he did it all for you? Do you believe that he did it all for you? Because if you don't believe it, if you you still have the slave mentality that you feel like you have to do something, fulfill that, it's just the same as you walking in between the middle of the sacrifice. Now you are obligated. The reason the children of Israel got killed and all of that, they were the ones who walked through that and says, we want to be part of this equation. This is our obligation. We'll fulfill our part. You fulfill your part. They couldn't fulfill their part. They could have, but they just didn't. And then so the laws got added on to where they couldn't even fulfill their part. The church is still doing that today. 
We're walking through that and say, well, I just got to make sure I fulfill my part. You got a slave mentality. You're thinking like the children of Israel underneath Moses. You know what that means? The blessings won't be manifesting, and it won't be because God's withholding them. He already dished it out at the cross. It's not like, I'm going to take some of them back. He gave them all. At the cross, in the resurrection, all the promises were flooded on this planet. Never to be, it, it, never to be taken up again. The problem is people, I'm telling you, there's going to be a time when the church comes alive and a will, when we understand with our mind and get it renewed that I'm in covenant with God, that I've been made one with Christ, even as he is, so am I, in Pueblo, Colorado, and all the blessings are mine. I can do what God says I can do, and I can have everything that he said I can have, and it's a done deal because of Jesus, nothing because of me. Amen. What do you believe? What do you believe? Are you believing? It's up to you. You're in the wrong covenant. A kinship covenant is not a covenant I want to be in with God. But he says, the covenant that I've made with you is a grant covenant. I have it all. You have nothing. And what do you need to do to get it all? Believe and receive. We call that grace. We call that grace. You know, there's, everybody talks about, you know, it's coming out, this is the grace message. It's always been about the grace of God. The problem is with the church is we believe in grace to get saved, and then after the, our salvation, we don't believe in grace anymore. We believe in the slave ship. Uh, mentality. I have to fulfill my part now that I got saved. Did you have to do anything to get saved? Did you have to do anything to get this covenant going with you? Did you have to get good enough to do this? Did you have to get cleaned up to do this? Did you have and fill in the blank? No. By grace through faith you are saved. It's the same with everything that God has given and provided. It's by grace through faith that you receive. Let's stand.